Richard, you know what time it is? Time to talk guns? That's right. It's time for another Legally Unfiltered show episode where we talk about our favorite topic. Pew pews. Firearms. Yes, indeed. We got some new firearm laws to talk about. Legally Unfiltered is a legal show, radio show, and podcast that talks about issues in the law, issues in the media, issues that affect your life with a legal spin. And we always like talking firearms and firearm laws. And we've got some new firearm laws to talk about. Um, there have been some new developments in the law. So we always Very like, significant we like keeping you uh, abreast, so to speak, of yes. what your rights are. So, by the way, Legally Unfiltered, if you want to get more information about our show, you can go to www.legallyunfiltered.com. And if there's topics that you want us to talk about, you can email us at legallyunfiltered at gmail.com. That's legallyunfiltered.com uh, for the website and legallyunfiltered at gmail.com for the email address. So, first big thing to talk about, Richard, is there's been a Supreme Court case that recently came out. Um and that Supreme Court case dealt with the issue of who can and cannot own a firearm. And more particularly, it dealt with you needing to be informed by the federal government that you cannot own a firearm. And, okay? and this is interesting because it, it flies in the face of that old adage that ignorance of the law is no excuse. Now we're saying, now we're saying, no, no, if you're not informed of this particular law or your position under this particular law, it can't be used against so, you. So let's let's give a quick rundown of who can and can't own a firearm under right. the law. Okay. Right. If you get convicted, and this is an oversimplification, Mr. Mr. Sprinkle, if you get convicted of a state felony, you cannot own a firearm under federal law. Under state law, it totally depends on what the felony is. If it's what we call an enumerated felony, then for a 10-year period starting after you plead guilty and until such time that you're no longer under supervision or incarcerated, for a 10-year period under state law, you cannot own a firearm under state law if it is an enumerated crime. You still can't own one under federal law because you are a convicted felon. Okay, if it is a non-enumerated felony, you can own under federal law, or you can possess under federal law, but you can still not own under federal law. So, non-enumerated, you can't. You can own under state law, but you can't own under federal. And then it gets even more confusing. If you are convicting of convicted, excuse me, of a crime that is related to a domestic violent act. It does not have to specifically be an enumerated. An enumerated, Richard, by the way, is just a fancy word of saying listed or described. It doesn't have to be an enumerated domestic violent crime like domestic abuse battery. It can be a simple battery. It can be a, a, a certain violent act that arises out of a domestic violent situation. If you are convicted of that crime, even if it is a misdemeanor, even if it's a misdemeanor, you cannot own a, a gun or a firearm under federal law. You can't possess it under federal law. Now, there are state laws in play in the state of Louisiana where you cannot own uh, or you cannot possess a firearm during the pendency of certain crimes or during the pendency of a, pr a protective order. But that is the landscape. Now, certain certain individuals in our country that are not, quote unquote, citizens, but who are 
what's the phrase, Richard, where you're, where, you're, where, where they're not citizens, but they're, but they're not quote unquote illegal aliens, but they may not be here lawfully, oh. uh, lawful presence, unlawful presence. Well, I mean, there's, there's a variety of statuses there. Somebody could be here on a work visa. Somebody could be here on a student visa. Somebody could have been a student and no longer a student. So maybe they're not supposed to be here anymore. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of gray areas in there. So, this new Supreme Court case, what's the name of that case well, again? Well, the individual named in the case was Hamid Rahif. Um, All right. So, his was an immigration situation, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so the issue at play in that case, and this is a big firearm issue, right? The issue at play in that case is, did he know, did the government show that he knew that he was a quote-unquote prohibited person from possessing or owning a firearm? Because if he doesn't know, I mean, and and it makes sense, right? If you don't know that you cannot possess a firearm, it kind of goes towards the specific intent nature of the crime. Right. The flip side is ignorance of the law is never an excuse. Is normally, not never, normally not an excuse. Normally. So this kind of caught us off guard, right? Because the question becomes, it doesn't, well, the question is, is how far does this go? If you're convicted of a domestic crime, but they never advise you that you cannot possess a firearm because you are convicted of a domestic crime, could you theoretically have a defense that, hey, I was never told that I cannot possess this firearm? You know, domestic, by the way, domestic crimes is, is in my world, as, as a private practitioner day in and day out, that's the number one way that, that, that individuals lose their, their firearm rights. Mm-hmm. Because it's a mis, a misdemeanor conviction is enough. It's Now, this is federal law. Congress made this law. A misdemeanor conviction is enough, is enough to get you to lose your rights. And oftentimes the court, the court, whether it's a municipal court, whether it's a state court, the court doesn't advise the individual that they're losing their firearm rights permanently under federal law. Now, now, let's rewind that for one second. You're telling me and all of our listeners that a misdemeanor crime, if it is by Supreme Court's own, by their own case law, the way the Supreme Court has framed this is if the conviction, if the crime is related to a domestic violent crime. So, for example, let's say you're charged with domestic abuse battery under mm-hmm. Louisiana state law and you plead down to just a simple battery. But it's domestic in nature, okay? So it, it arises out of a domestic dispute or domestic environment. You lose your federal gun rights. People don't know that. That's Supreme Court case law. That is what the Supreme Court has interpreted the congressional law to be. So people don't realize. They think, well, I'm not, I'm not pleading guilty to the domestic violence or the domestic battery. I'm pleading guilty to a lesser crime that's it's not, not a called, felony, so I keep my gun rights. We're right. Yeah. And if the court doesn't tell you differently, then under the new Rahif law, that that new decision under that case, if you're not told, you may have an issue. Now, how are you normally advised of your rights in this manner? Now, normally they'll get you give you a form. The court can say it on the record. By the way, Mr. Smith, you by pleading guilty to this crime, you you've lost your right under federal law to possess a firearm, even though this is a non-felony conviction. It gets even better. So the ATF has a firearm restoration program for felons. Mm-hmm. 
but it's not funded by Congress. Mm-mm. So they don't do it. So it doesn't happen. Right. right. So theoretically, you could have a guy that has a felony that's 20 to 30 years old. They cannot possess under federal law. And there's no cleansing period under federal law. You can have a guy that pled to a domestic battery in their 20s and who's now 50. Mm-hmm. They cannot possess a firearm. That's true. And and you know the number one way that these people get caught, Richard, is not they're not robbing banks. They're out hunting. Yeah. Or they may be having in their firearm the, the firearm in their car mm-hmm. and and they get a traffic stop. This is a huge decision, right? Um, so so again, I've I've spent a lot of time on this case because I wanted the listeners to know that under Louisiana law. Under federal law, these are the instances where you can own a firearm or possess. And I'm, I'm distinguishing possess and own because your possession it doesn't require ownership. No, it simply requires actual or, or control over yeah. that weapon. So we have two possessions in Louisiana. We have actual possession. I'm holding the firearm and construction constructive possession dominion and control. That's over. right. It's in the back seat of my car. It's, it's on in, the ground next yeah, to me. Yes. Yes. So that is the first of our new firearm law. Um, there is another law, I think, out of Pennsylvania, if I'm not mistaken, that you were talking to me about earlier today. Um, are you familiar with that one? I am. This That law has to do with whether or not uh, it is essentially illegal for somebody to be walking around carrying a weapon in a state that permits concealed carry. In other words, it's it's no longer enough of a crime where you can just call the police and have the police stop somebody because they saw an individual carrying a gun. So let me get this right. Hold on. Hold on. Let me rewind here. Yeah. I'm open carrying. Right. Well, it depends on whether they allow open carry or not. So let's say thought hypothetically, I'm open carrying, which means I have a holster on my hip Mm -hmm. and I have a firearm in plain view, plain view. The world can see it. Right. Me open carrying a firearm. Is that probable cause or reasonable suspicion to stop me? That would require me to go back and reread the case, but the 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 issue in this case was the police had called were called on somebody who was allegedly carrying a weapon. Somebody Concealed? saw it. Somebody may have seen the butt of a weapon sticking out of a. Pocket. So that's different, right? right? Right. I would argue that that open carrying, assuming that open carrying open carrying is allowed in the place you are, like in Louisiana, open carry is permitted. Right. So if I'm walking down the street and I'm not in a school, I'm not in a prohibited place. Right. I'm just walking down the street with a with a holstered firearm. Theoretically, I'm breaking no law. Theoretically, you're breaking no law. There's no suspicious activity. It's not articulable. There's no basis to stop me. You're not brandishing it. You're not threatening anyone. Let's say I'm just walking slowly down the street. Right. Not quickly, not not too slowly, just kind of walking, just ambulating, just down the street. (laughs) Not basis. But if I see somebody, let's say I see somebody walking down the street and I catch the hint of a butt of a firearm mm-hmm. coming out of their waistband. Mm-hmm. So so that under state law, it would be, quote unquote, concealed. Right. Okay. So let's talk about that for a minute. Under this case, it's not necessarily a basis to stop them and to search them, correct? Right. And, and arguably, so this is where I have trouble. If it's concealed... I believe that you should be required to produce a concealed carry permit under our law. And I say our law being Louisiana, not Pennsylvania. I don't think that it's anything that doesn't run afoul to your rights. If, a, if an officer says, are you carrying a concealed firearm? And you say, yes. And, and he says, can I see your, can I see 
your your concealed carry permit. I think that's okay. I think the problem is, is in a state where you may not necessarily need a concealed carry permit, it's not probable cause to search you or stop you or do anything beyond that. Interesting case, right? It's very interesting. And and for the record, I agree with you. Um, you know, I conceal carry as well. And if I've got a weapon, you know, depending on what, what I'm wearing, I may have a very small pistol in a pocket holster. If somebody sees the outline of that uh, that holster inside my pants, I don't know why they're staring at my leg, but if they see that, um, and, or a police officer sees it and wants to know, am I carrying, um, there are individuals out there that will give the officer an undue hard time about being questioned. And, and those guys, they bring trouble on themselves and everyone else. So it's, it's, we're the guys that get it. We get it. Richard and I get it because also Richard and I have taken the time to get our concealed carry permit. Most of the guys that are, that are good enough to get their concealed carry permit are also the kind of guys and gals that are going to abide by the law. Sure. Um, but that's an interesting case, right? I mean, that's a case that, that kind of, cause, cause look, normally when we start talking about reasons to search or stop somebody, we're talking about people being searched and, and the cops finding something other than just a firearm. Right. But the, the interesting thing about this and what went around the internet is, is printing is not a crime. In other words, if the imprint of my firearm is, is showing and you're paying that close attention to what's hidden under my clothing, it's not a crime. It's not worth calling the police to bother someone over. It's it's not something that they need to be stopping people over. If it's a concealed carry state where that is legal. Right. So you know the other crime that I've been hearing a lot about lately, Richard, and and a lot of people don't realize about this, and it goes back to the first topic we talked about is prohibited persons. Right. Let's say you're a prohibited person and you go to a firearm store and you're filling out your application mm-hmm. and you don't realize that, that that domestic battery that you pled to 30 years ago when you were 18 years old makes you a prohibited person. Right. So you check the box on the application and they say, nah, can't buy a firearm. Right. Did you know that that's a crime? Yeah, because you just lied on a federal firearms application. No, no, no. You were honest about it. Let's say the well, scenario, you, you were you honest. attempted to purchase a firearm as a prohibited person. Sure. That in and of itself is a attempt crime. Right. So under our law, ladies and gentlemen, there are there are crimes that you commit, and then there are quote unquote attempted crimes. Attempted crimes. So attempted crime is is essentially I tried to do the crime, I just didn't. I didn't. I failed. So, so under federal law, the attempt is the same as the crime itself. Under state law, the penalty under Louisiana state law, the penalty for an attempt crime is one half right. the penalty of the normal crime. So what really scares me is the guy that or gal that is a prohibited person who doesn't have reason to know that they're a prohibited person because they either weren't advised. And, that, and that's what makes the Raif case a good case to a certain degree is, man, you pl- pled to a simple assault when you were younger that was mm-hmm. domestic in nature and you didn't know that you're a prohibited person. So you don't check the box or you check the box and then they discover it and they're like, hey, you're not supposed to own a firearm. You're prohibited under federal law. Well, I don't think it's fair and right and just that you're going to get charged with a crime for being ignorant of the of the prohibition such that you cannot you cannot purchase it, you cannot possess it. Now that being said, convicted felons are convicted felons, right? 
Convicted felons are convicted felons. Rahif's case was terribly different, though. That was immigration status, well, right? Well, yeah, because, okay, he was here. Um, the article says that he was discharged from Florida, or I'm sorry, dismissed from the Florida Institute, Institute of Technology. Now, I'm not sure if that means he no, worked there or little, was a student there. Little known fact, you're, sometimes your status in the United States is tethered to your status as a student, student right. or an employee. And so if you're dismissed, fired, whatever, right. you cannot lawfully stay here. But, I mean, this guy wasn't necessarily doing anything wrong. He's he's a student from the United Arab Emirates who went to a, a shooting range to take target practice. That's it. That's all he did. Going to a shooting range, taking target practice. The article doesn't even say if he owned the firearm or was it a rental or what have you i'd have to dig deeper to, in the we, facts to find should out should we be surprised at the ruling of this conservatively made up court we should be shocked at the ruling of this well, conservative court i mean isn't court. It, isn't it a conservative ideal to be pro firearm rights no it's in my opinion it's more of a libertarian ideal here because okay. because we're not going conservative in the letter of the law is on, the only thing that counts. Well, we know method. what and we know how conservatives generally feel about immigrants. Uh, yeah, not these not these justices necessarily, but in general. But in general, um, okay, okay. I'm I mean, gonna, I'm, I'm a little surprised, especially the fact that it was a seven two decision. So here's the thing. This is the takeaway from all of this. If you have reason to doubt, after especially after listening to this episode, if you have reason to doubt, hey, can I own a firearm? Can I possess a firearm? What should you do? I think the best free legal advice, even though we're not giving legal advice over we the radio. We don't do that. We don't do that. Listen to the disclaimer we after this. We do not give free legal advice. So if I were to hypothetically make a suggestion, I would say this. Ask. Ask a lawyer before you go to the gun store, right? So... I would call up an attorney, maybe Richard, maybe Franz, and say, hey, I got convicted of this crime when I was a youngin, and I want to know, is it make me a prohibited person? And sometimes the answer might be, and this is what really bothers a lot of people, is I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, what do you mean you don't know? Well, you pled to this non-enumerated domestic crime when you were younger. Mm -hmm. It's a simple battery. Mm -hmm. So technically, black letter of the law, you cannot. Does that mean that the ATF or some federal agency is going to realize that that simple battery that you pled to that may or may not even still be on your record was domestic in nature because they need your rap sheet doesn't reflect domestic versus not domestic. They just reflect sometimes the disposition Well, they in, and in many cases, they're going to have to go back and look at the original bill, right? Or bill of information to see what you were first charged with. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm pleading guilty to an amended bill, then the original bill doesn't matter anymore, right? If you plead guilty to the to amended a, bill, to an amended crime that is related to a domestic violent act under Supreme Court case hmm. law. Now, I've had the situation before where someone is accused of a domestic abuse battery and I plead them get guilty to disturbing the peace by loud noise. Sure. At least I have an argument that the correlation between disturbing the peace by loud noise and the act of the violence is different, you know? Yeah, I guess, I guess where I'm just having a difficult time with it, or in this case, is the reality of ATF pulling the original file and not the court minutes, not the stuff that's public record. They're going to have to go and find the original well, you know, file and dig deep and find out what that, what the, what the 
you know, underlying circumstances were the case. Well, how this rears its head is it's an arrest for something else. Right. And they're targeting the person. So they had the incentive to dig, quote unquote, deep. Right. I don't think I don't think necessarily that I don't think necessarily that um, the ATF is salivating, is salivating over these. But you need to be aware if Mm. you're if you're asking, can I lawfully possess a firearm? The answer may be. No, it may be. No. So when in doubt, when call, in doubt, find out. And and in fact, you know, I'm going to throw this out there and I don't like doing this, but I'm going to throw it out there. These are the kind of questions we have a email address, legally unfiltered at gmail.com. Um, when folks email us, we try to provide them information. Um, it may not be something we can do over an email or over the phone, but it may be something we can help you out with. But these are things you need to look look at. We always love talking about guns on Legally Unfiltered. That is about it for this episode, Richard. And and folks, you've heard some of these shows. We need some topic ideas. Yes. We we, need some. Ouch. Ouch. I kid. That's about it for this episode. You've been listening to Richard Sprinkle and Franz Borkhart. We're both attorneys at law. Shoot us an email. Follow along our podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, you know, Google Play. Anywhere the kids are finding podcasts these days. You can listen to us on the radio Saturday nights at 107.3, and you can listen on the 107.3 app. That's about it, folks. Thank you, and be mindful of the guns you possess. The views and opinions expressed in Legally Unfiltered do not constitute legal advice. If you would like legal advice on the topics that we've discussed, send us money. That's right. Go ahead and retain us. Do not, kids, try this at home.